Hello, friends, and welcome to the What If Project podcast. It's great to have you here today. Um, it is early right now. It is, uh, what is it? It is Saturday morning at 5.30 in the morning. Um, up a little bit early today. i got to be at work at 8 o'clock today. So I've got to be in the shower getting ready fairly soon. Um, but I just wanted to sit down and uh, record this episode this morning uh, with a nice cup of coffee um, in a very quiet house and uh, just the stillness of the morning. I've got some new things I've been thinking about uh, that I want to share with you today. Um, this is episode number 11, and um, it's called The Cosmic Jesus. The Cosmic Jesus. Now, before I jump into that, I have to tell you I'm very excited because I just handed in um, the next round of edits on my dissertation. And what that consisted of was basically I'd handed in uh, 100 and, uh, 109 pages of my dissertation um, back in, when was that? Uh, it was in July. And my professor, uh, my first reader, my advisor, he read it. And he uh, had 10 pages of edits he wanted me to make sent it back to me, and um, I chopped it down from 109 pages down to 90 pages, and then rewrote some stuff and went back up to 119 pages. And then I added in the uh, title page and the signature page and the abstract summary and the bibliography and handed it in, and now it gets read again. And I should get it back in about a month, and then I do some more edits on it, and then hopefully it is what they call defense-ready by the end of December. So we are making progress, and uh, this month I'm finishing up some books and some papers for my last class, and um, then that should be a wrap. You know, I'll defend the dissertation in the spring, probably March-ish, and then hopefully, uh, if all goes well, I should graduate in May. So um, exciting, exciting stuff for me. Um, so I'm definitely tired. It's been a, a long journey to get that thing done. But um, yes, God has been good. Life has uh, created the space for me to get it done. And um, all is good. But this, this is episode number 11. And like I said, calling it the Cosmic Jesus. Some new thoughts, some new ideas, new things I've been thinking about. Um, Back in Mark chapter 7, Jesus fed 5,000 people. And then in Mark 8, which is kind of where I want to land today, he feeds 4,000 more. So I'll kind of talk about those two stories. Um, Jesus feeding 5,000, Jesus feeding 4,000. The stories are the same in that in both instances, he multiplied a very small amount of food in order to feed a very large group of people. Um, But as similar as they are in that sense, they're also very different, and I think Mark purposely does this, uh, for a few important and key reasons. One of those reasons that I want to focus on today. Uh, The stories are different because of where they take place and the kinds of people who are in the crowds. Uh, Like, in both instances, we're told how many men were in the crowd. In Mark 7, we're told that there were 5,000 men. And in Mark 8, we're told that there were 4,000 men. But in both cases, there also would have been women and children 
present who were not accounted for in Mark's headcount. So maybe there were 6,000 people uh, and not 5,000. Maybe there were 8,000 and not um, 5,000. Maybe there were 12,000, right? Or, or maybe Mark was exaggerating the number. Like, were there really that many people gathered on the hillside? And if there were, could they really all hear Jesus, even if he didn't have a microphone? Uh, like, what if Mark's numbers were way off? What if he was exaggerating? What if there were only 50 or 100? And does it matter? Or, or maybe Mark inflated his numbers to make a larger point. Uh, who knows? But more importantly, though, in Mark 7, Jesus feeds the 5,000 men on the predominantly Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee uh, with 12 baskets of food left over. And then in Mark 8, he feeds a slightly less 4,000 on the predominantly Gentile side of the lake with seven baskets of food left over. That's very important. Okay, so one more time. 5,000 Jews in Mark 7 with 12 baskets left over, Jewish side of the lake. Then 4,000 Gentiles in Mark 8 with seven baskets left over on the Gentile side of the lake. Um, and his commentary on Mark, Ched Myers, I, I've mentioned this book a bunch of times. It's so good. Um, a little bit of a complicated read, um, but if you can, I don't know, if you can make your way through it, it is a really, really good book. It's called Binding the Strong Man. Uh, Myers points out that the 12 baskets on the Jewish side of the lake represent the 12 tribes of Israel, right? We talked about that last week. Um, take your place within the 12. We talked about what the 12 um, kind of means. So he says that the 12 baskets on the Jewish side represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and the seven baskets on the Gentile side represent the Jewish folklore of the 70 nations of the world, um, which is the Gentile non-Jewish world. So there's the Jews and then there's everybody else in the Jewish world, right? So that, that's kind of what they're thinking was. There's us, and then there's everybody else. So the 12 baskets represent the 12 tribes of Israel on the Jewish side of the lake. The seven on the Gentile side of the lake represent the Jewish folklore of the seven D nations of the world. Now, do you see what Mark is doing here? Right? Were there really 5,000? Were there really 4,000? Or maybe there were 5,013, 4,205, 500, 523, and were there really 12 baskets left over, and were there really seven, or maybe were there 13 or 14 or six or one or two, or maybe there were zero. I'm not sure Mark was that interested in giving us the exact details about numbers, as much as he was interested in us connecting the symbolism behind the story that he was telling, right? Jesus came to feed everybody on all sides of the lake, Jews and Gentiles, alike, right? That was the point, I think. This wasn't just a Jewish Messiah or a Jewish king or a Jewish rabbi, but a, a cosmic Messiah. He didn't just come with healing for the nation of Israel, but with healing for the nations of the world. He didn't just come to set things right for the people of Israel, but for all people everywhere. This is why in Colossians 1.23, Paul said that this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. In Paul's estimation, the good news of Jesus, which remember Jesus himself tells us in Mark 1, is that the kingdom of God is near. This good news has been proclaimed 
And notice the language that Paul uses. The good news has already been proclaimed to not just the people of Israel, but to every creature under heaven. God has come near. Healing has come near. Grace, mercy, love, open arms, light, justice, forgiveness has come near. All of the attributes of God's kingdom have broken through from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus. And those attributes haven't just touched the lives of the Jewish people, but the lives of everyone. And more than that, all creatures under heaven. I mean, grasp that phrase, all creatures under heaven. Every human on earth, every creature on earth, and every organism in the universe, right? All creatures, as Paul says, under heaven. Now, since Colossians, Paul's book, was written somewhere between 60 and 61 AD, and Mark was written some eight years later, between 68 and 70 AD, I wonder if Mark, I wonder if he was weaving the stories of the feedings together in order to bring out this very point that he maybe picked up from Paul. The idea of the cosmic Jesus, the long-awaited and promised Messiah who wouldn't just set things right for the nation of Israel, but for the nations of the world. I wonder if Mark got that idea from Paul. The Jews believe that that water, right, and the Sea of Galilee in particular, represented the chaos of the world. And, and so in Mark, we see Jesus traveling to all sides of the chaos to bring healing, freedom, food for the hungry. No one is left untouched, right? No one is ignored. No one is exempt. No one, as we said a few weeks ago, is left behind. And I wonder how the world today, right, I wonder how the world today would be different if we lived like that is true. Okay, now I have a confession to make, okay? I'm at a place in my life where, ah, let me see, how, how am I going to say this? I'm at a place in my life where I don't think anyone is turned away from God. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that when all is said and done, and God has wiped the dust off his hands from his newly created heaven and earth, I think that everyone who has ever lived will have a place in God's new creation. Now, I'm talking everyone, right? Like Christians, Catholics, atheists, Muslims, Jews, everyone. Now, there's judgment, of course. I, I believe that somehow, in some way, you know, the horrors of the, this world somehow have to be answered for. I believe that. How that fits in, I don't really know. But what I'm saying is that I think that everyone will have a place in God's newly um, designed creation. You see, I dare to think that Jesus's work on the cross is that big and that powerful and that final. And that it's that big and powerful and final for everyone. And again, how will it work? I don't really know, but I believe that his work is big enough and final enough to iron out all of the details. And I believe that not just because I'm making it up or because it seems like it's a nice thought, but I believe that because that's what I see Right? When I see how Jesus lived and carried himself, I don't see him turning people away. I don't see him ignoring people, giving them ultimatums about believing the right things about him or being sent to eternal damnation. I just don't see it. Right? Rather, I see a man who is the exact representation of God. A man who goes to those who have been outcasted long before they have the common sense to pick themselves up and come to him. 
who goes to both sides of the lake to eat and spend time with people who would be hated by the people on the other side of the lake, who goes to those who are hurting, who goes to those who are crushed by their mistakes, who goes to those who are haunted by their demons, who goes to people of other religions and other cultures, he goes to people who are making questionable decisions with their lives. He goes to these people, touches them, spends time with them, and tells them that they are loved and welcomed and that they have a purpose and place at his table. Right? Even when we see him eating with um, prostitutes and tax collectors and the sinners, right? even when he's sitting at the table with them, even the, the Pharisees are still technically at the table. right? Because there's that one story where um, it says that Jesus is eating with the sinners while the Pharisees are standing by and they're grumbling, right? Everyone is technically at the table in that scene. The Pharisees and the holy religious people and the, quote, sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, alike, everybody's there. The, the sinners are partaking in the meal. The, the, the Pharisees are kind of standing off to the side, but everyone is there, right? Everyone is in his presence. Everyone is at the table. Now, saying that can get me in some trouble (laughs) with some church friends. Um, And I know that many would have uh, like an arsenal of Bible verses to disprove my thoughts. I even have a whole bunch of them in my head right now. Many of them I I probably wouldn't even have a response for. But I'm at this oddly comfortable place in my life, in my faith, where my convictions about this kind of stuff, uh, they are slowly changing from where I was three, four, five years ago even though my understanding of how to, how to read certain pieces of the Bible is still catching up. And I, and I think that's what faith is. You know, having the courage to step out of the boat of old convictions and into the stormy seas of new convictions, even though the, uh, maybe the life preserver of Bible verses that we once held onto so tightly to prove and disprove everything, maybe has some holes in it and sits kind of deflated at the back of the boat. You see, the stories of Jesus feeding the 4,000 on the Gentile side and the 5,000 on the Jewish side uh, show me one thing more than anything else, that Jesus has come to feed everyone, regardless of where they're from, who they are, what they've done, etc., and whether they ask for food or not, right? He will feed them. You see, he didn't just, it's not like they put in a mobile order right on their phones and, and Jesus was like Uber Foods or whatever, and he was like delivering food to them because they asked for it. He came and fed them even if they didn't ask for it. Perhaps this is why in the very next passage, after Jesus feeds the 4,000 uh, Gentiles, we see him getting frustrated during a short exchange with his disciples. Uh, Jesus had just fed the 4,000, and then it says he was tested uh, by the Pharisees, which interestingly, uh, the word tested by the Pharisees is the same word that Mark used to open the first half of the gospel when he said that Jesus went into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. Uh, The church was testing him in the same way that Satan was testing him. So I'll let you draw your own conclusions on what Mark is saying there. But now we see him and his disciples in the boat. They're getting ready to cross back to the Jewish side of the lake. And as they get their stuff together, they head out. Mark says that the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, said Jesus. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another. Is, is it because we have no bread? 
Is that why he's saying this, right? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Are your hearts still hardened? The yeast of the Pharisees and Herod versus the yeast of Jesus. Now, Jesus had 5,000 Jews. He had fed 5,000 Jews and 4,000 Gentiles, right? Symbolizing, we said that he has come to feed everyone, to unite everyone, to bring everyone together as one. Sprinkling that kind of yeast into, the, into his world so that a new kingdom of unity and inclusion could rise up and out of the earthly empires of disunity and exclusion, that would have threatened big time both the Pharisees and the religious leaders as well as Herod and the other rulers of the empire because the Pharisees wanted to keep the Jews and Gentiles separate for religious reasons so that they as Jews could enforce their purity laws on the dirty non-Jewish people, right? They had the upper hand in that sense. And the Roman Empire was aiming for something similar where people of various classes uh, were separated for political reasons so that certain groups could hold all of the power, while other groups had none. Sound familiar? Sounds a lot like today, right? Um, I guess you could say that both parties, the Pharisees and Herod, the empire, benefited greatly from the uneven balance of power. And so the disciples get in the boat on the Gentile side of the lake with only one loaf of bread as they head back to the Jewish side of the lake. And Jesus tells them to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. So after everything we just talked about, why would he say that? What on earth is his point? Well, the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod was one of disunity, right? And exclusion. A kingdom that Jesus had come to smother with his own kingdom of love and grace and inclusion. And so Jesus wanted his disciples to take note, I think, of the progression of events that they had just been involved in and be on guard against the kingdoms of this world. And the fact that they only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat is an important piece of information. I think it's almost like Mark is winking at his readers, reminding them at the end of, this, at the, end of the day, at the end of the story, that one loaf is more than enough for everyone on all sides of the lake. Because everyone, Jew, Gentile, Christian, Muslim, atheist, etc., is welcome to come and partake of the one loaf of bread, the bread of life, right? Jesus, the one who feeds everyone, every creature under heaven. Guys, he is the cosmic Jesus. And regardless of what side of the lake that you are on, He has saved a seat for you at the table. Whether you think you need it or you don't think you need it, whether you're hungry or you're not hungry, whether you know you need to eat or you don't know you need to eat, um, a seat is saved for you. You belong here. Um, I hope that that can encourage you today. Um, I hope that it can even challenge you today. Maybe today you need to be reminded that you have a seat at the table. Um, But also maybe you need to be reminded today that the person in your life who you don't like, uh, the people in your life that maybe the church has pushed away, they've got a seat at the table too. And what can you do today to make that person feel welcomed um, in the presence of God? What can you do today maybe to be God's presence to that person? The Cosmic Jesus, episode 11. I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.
thank you so much for stopping by the What If Project podcast today. It was great to have you here, and I really just appreciate your your support. And hey, if this encouraged you at all, if it challenged you, if it pushed you, uh, challenging your perspective and how you understand the Bible, I would just ask that you head over to your podcast uh, listening platform of choice, whether that be iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, wherever it is that you're listening to this now, and uh, leave some feedback, leave a rating. Um, those ratings definitely help because it helps uh, bump the podcast up a little bit in iTunes, um, and it gives people also a little bit of a kind of a look as to what to expect when they read what other people are saying about it. So if you could do that for me, that would be fantastic. Also head over to the Facebook page and um, you can go to Facebook, type in What If Project, the page will pop up. Give it a like, feel free to join in whatever kind of discussion may be going on there. And also keep an eye out uh, for the upcoming online small group. Right now we're in the middle of one for Mark. Uh, There will be coming another one later on, probably very early in the new year. So if you'd like to sign up for that, um, all of the things will be up pointing you in the right direction and it would be great to see you there so again thank you so much for stopping by and i'll see you next time bye